0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've been thinking a lot lately about civility. Of course, basic politeness and exercising good manners is essential. But I think civility, real civility, goes deeper. It means to choose our words carefully and thoughtfully in non-hurtful ways. It means to be respectful of how another person sees the world even when we heartily disagree. And to maintain a sense of humility because as a wise friend of mine used to say, we could always be wrong. These are lofty goals, which I practice imperfectly, of course. But that's the tone we strive for in these programs. Thank you for listening. Coming up on a Humankind special, how are we processing this state of near-relentless chaos, hurricanes and wildfires, to the threat to democracy, to the pandemic, to the savagery in Ukraine, we'll listen to people who have undergone these crises, as well as to healthcare professionals and clergy who can help us gain perspective.
1: I think there has to be
2: fundamental work right now on compassion and empathy, uh, to not try to wrap it up in a, in a happy bow, uh, talk people out of their suffering, to just be present with them in it. And I think that's how we discover our way into a
0: next chapter. How do we sit with the uncertainties that surround us? What are good practices for the care of our neighbors and for self-care? Where are the sources of hope? I'm David Freudberg. Stay with us for our documentary, Constant Emergency from Humankind. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project, Constant Emergency, is supported by the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation and by the Humankind Program Fund. As world crises pile up, what personal skills can help us to work through them? You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. From the pandemic to climate change, the epidemic of gun violence to our very democracy at stake, we seem to have entered an age of relentless chaos— times it can feel like we're experiencing whiplash from a multi-car collision. So I've been asking what resources are needed for emotional and physical health and for the functioning of our communities to help people navigate this season of storms.
2: I like to think that we could be like the immune system on the planet at this time.
0: Nicole Warwick works with the Sonoma Community Resilience Collaborative in a region that has faced multiple devastating wildfires north of San Francisco.
2: I've definitely not given up hope. I don't think that the end of times is near. But I do think that this is a moment that's calling upon us to respond. And we can choose to keep going, to kind of have our blinders on and to not change, or we can take the courage to be the immune system of the planet and for each other at this time.
0: The COVID pandemic, which claimed the lives of more than a million Americans and over six million worldwide, has deeply unsettled our sense of well-being. This prolonged period of endangerment has produced a classic stress reaction. In general, people are more on edge. Physician James Gordon of Georgetown University.
3: They're in a a state of ongoing fight or flight, many of them. I mean, a fight or flight response is a survival response that's meant to come quickly and go quickly and be in our lives built into our biology to preserve us from predators. And of course, in human beings, we have fight or flight when we feel psychologically threatened. Well, I think very large numbers of people are continuing in fight or flight, and uh, the other part of uh, what's going on is that they may not even realize it.
0: Dr. Gordon is a psychiatrist and founder of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington, D.C. He has helped populations to heal from aching trauma. These include survivors of the incomprehensible hail of bullets sprayed by a young shooter at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, on Valentine's Day 2018. Student activist Emma Gonzalez.
2: In a little over six minutes, 17 of our friends were taken from us, 15 were injured, and everyone, absolutely everyone, in the Douglas community was forever altered.
0: Living through terrorism leaves a particular kind of scar. And during these troubled times, people in many circumstances develop the symptoms of trauma.
4: Well, they're reacting from a place of unrelenting chronic fear.
0: Psychotherapist Sabrina and Jai, based in Baltimore, is a senior faculty member at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine.
4: And what that looks like sometimes is violence against the self and violence against other people and... Sometimes that violence is physical in these mass shootings. And sometimes that violence is, is emotional in the way we speak to ourselves. And sometimes it's both.
0: The way we speak to ourselves.
4: To ourselves, yes, absolutely. From a place of, of judgment, of blame, of dislike of ourselves which then certainly flows from the self out to the outside world. And it's showing up with people being in separation from each other, in decreased capacity for trust and decreased hope. And of course, decreased hope lends itself to physical disruptions, to chronic illness, to loss of life.
3: who have been working with the U.S. Capitol Police. Dr. James Gordon. And, uh, of course, on January 6th, 2021, they had an extremely traumatic episode when they were sort of overwhelmed by the, 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 the rioters and they were ill-equipped, and many of them were physically but also psychologically damaged.
0: Here's Michael Fanone, a D.C. Metropolitan Police officer, who was summoned to the Capitol that day and has since resigned. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt
3: like hard metal objects. Just about all of them say they're more on edge. They have some difficulty sleeping. They have some difficulty focusing. And occasionally... They are having frank panic attacks when they can't get their breath. Now, those are people with a, an obvious source of the trauma. Uh, but the rest of us, I, I've noticed among my colleagues and my friends that there's a, you know, a little more uneasiness than, than I've ordinarily seen. A little more a tendency to react and react sharply when there's any kind of uh, questioning or any kind of threat. And and I can see it in myself.
0: Adding to the crisis atmosphere are hazards posed by global climate change. The accumulation of heat-trapping gases in our atmosphere has intensified the effects of hurricanes, scorching heat, droughts, and floods, all of which impacts agriculture, which can affect price and availability of our food at the grocery store. And nowhere have the ravages of the changing climate been on more vivid display than in the inferno sparked by wildfires in California. And then all in command shortly. we do have a major fire Stand by for a very significant resource
3: request. copies our priority is rescue of the public and safety of the rescuer.
0: suppression where possible. First responders speed through a hellscape of floating ash and winds as the Northern California night is lit up by bright yellow-orange blazes that burn for miles.
1: In 2017, the Tubbs fire came through Santa Rosa.
0: Melissa Barnett is a yoga teacher who works with special needs families. Her story is harrowing, but also offers seeds of hope.
1: And I was fortunately not in my space. I was out in another county, and um, when the fire happened, I then worked towards getting back to my house. And once I was able to, I discovered that it had been burnt to the ground. That was everything burnt to the ground. That was the building. That was the trees. Um, everything, the contents in the building.
0: What was your visceral reaction to that loss?
1: Fire is... Shocking. It's, you know, the ash was in the air, the, I, I was breathing the ash. Um, the steps were there leading to the door, but the door wasn't there. So it was this eerie, um, strange feeling, um, with this dark sky and this air I couldn't breathe. And, um, and the one thing that survived was, um, a beautiful statue I had. Um, that I put on my altar, and she was in the midst of the fire. She survived. So it was this kind of a spiritual feeling, like, we can survive these events.
0: The Tubbs Fire in October 2017 was the most destructive wildfire in the history of California to that date. According to Cal Fire, more than 230,000 acres burned. Over 50,000 people were evacuated. 44 people died. After the tragedy, several community organizations started meeting to explore ways to help the survivors. Nicole Warwick.
2: This is really typical after the fires or a major trauma in a community where people start to come together and start asking these questions of, How do we support our community now that we've gone through this unprecedented trauma? And Santa Rosa Community Health, Daily Acts, which is the organization I work for, and several other key organizations here in Sonoma County convened and formed the Sonoma Community Resilience Collaborative. And the goal was to be able to resource support, to be able to aid our community in transitioning and healing from the trauma we had experienced.
0: The collaborative brought in experts from the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington. Hundreds of people went through a training for how to diminish the effects of trauma and stress. From there, the skills would be adapted to efforts intended to promote greater resilience in the face of climate impacts.
2: Emotions are evoked within us when we're in our environments, natural environments or environments we choose to go visit. And our emotions can range from a feeling of connection and belonging and affinity to this space. You know, we can feel um, comforted being in certain environments. So other environments can stimulate feelings of deep relaxation now when we're dealing with climate catastrophes much like we're doing the fires here or if we look to the hurricanes the emotions become more intense and extreme there we've I, there's a lot of discussion around climate anxiety but I think when we name just the anxiety piece we're limiting ourselves. Um, because we have a full spectrum of emotions around our environment and climate. Um, Things that range from love all the way to to grief and fear can exist within us when we're navigating um, climate change at this time.
0: Do you find a lot of people are walking around with fear there?
2: I believe so. I believe there's a lot of unmetabolized fear happening. Um, uh, under-recognized fear happening and we have a lot of people whose nervous systems are just completely overstimulated by the stress of what's happening without a proper container or or ways to articulate what their feelings are around um, the fear. Ready for additional evacuation orders. Judges, I see St. Helena affirmative. Evacuate from Sonoma County, Calistoga Road and Harville Road east of the city of Calistoga
3: and all adjoining roads, Porter Creek
2: and So of- I live in a forested area in West Sonoma County and we've encountered fires in our community now almost every year for the last five years. And in twenty twenty we had a very large fire that was the closest one in proximity to where I live. And we evacuated for ten days And when we came back into the forest, my perception of the forest had shifted. This was a place that had given me a great sense of calm and belonging. I felt this uh, deep connection to the land. when I came back after being evacuated and the threat of fire had been so real and close in proximity, my perception of the forest had shifted and the things that I once had seen as green and lush felt like fuel for fire. And I was on, my nervous system was on high alert. I wasn't sleeping well. Whenever the winds would rustle through the trees or we had a really hot day, I could feel it in my body. My whole system was on alert and afraid to be in the forest. And it took me a long time to be able to identify that feeling, that the panic that would come up and having to understand what was happening for me in my own body being in this place. And then how could I take actions to support myself to remain whether or not I actually stayed was, was a question for me. And I had lived in that place for 18 years. I didn't want to leave my home. I loved those woods. But the fear was so primal and so real and in my body that I had a very hard time being there.
0: So we've been talking about some pretty rough stuff. And I have to ask whether any of this has shaken your personal faith.
2: Hmm. Of course it does. I, I, on some level, isn't that what it's meant to do? When a major life catastrophe or situation happens, it usually reveals to us parts of ourselves that we need to remember. Um, our strengths, our resources, our vulnerabilities, the parts of us that we've been working to heal, Um, to be able to just acknowledge those things about ourselves and to maybe even set new aspirations or new ways of growing and being in the world.
0: We're exploring how people come to terms with various calamities in an age of trauma how they can find ways to heal. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Constant Emergency, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. dr james gordon the georgetown psychiatrist who founded the center for mind body medicine has made several recent trips to the tragic region of ukraine his mission has been to offer pathways to people who've endured russia's brutal unprovoked invasion starting in february 2022. the major work is
3: in ukraine and with ukrainian refugees there are several million who've passed through poland the work is training people who are formerly caregivers like doctors and mental health professionals, but also training people who want to be helpful to others. So for example, a lot of the people we train are teachers. We train clergy. We train peer counselors, teaching them techniques of self-care, how to become more self-aware, giving them the experience of these approaches, and then teaching them how to use what they've learned with others. So how
0: does a person
3: become more self-aware? Uh, partly by shutting up for a couple of minutes, just as you had us do. You said, can we be quiet with each other for a minute or so before we begin the interview? I think that's a beautiful way to do it. And we do this before every one of our staff meetings at the Center for Mind Body Medicine. Just shut up, take a few deep breaths, slow deep breaths, with the belly soft and relaxed, maybe with the eyes closed. perhaps focusing on the breath, on the belly softening and relaxing, and on the words soft as we breathe in and belly as we breathe out. Technically, and people who are listening should continue doing this while I'm talking, technically this is a concentrative meditation. Uh, What this does is it balances out the fight or flight response. It mobilizes the vagus nerve, which is the antidote to the fight or flight response. It lowers blood pressure, slows heart rate, relaxes the big muscles in our body, improves our digestion, and also quiets areas of the brain in the amygdala, A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A, which means almond in Greek. It's an almond-shaped portion of the brain and the emotional part of the brain, which is responsible for fear and anger. So when you breathe slowly and deeply like this, you quiet activity in the amygdala. And as you do that, you also bring on more activity in the frontal cortex of the brain, areas responsible for thoughtful decision-making and self-awareness and clear thinking and compassion. So it's a very simple way to bring us into balance so that we can become aware of what's actually going on and how we're actually feeling. And of the difference between our immediate, perhaps, reaction to a situation that would happen if we're still in fight or flight. And that kind of measured, more thoughtful, often kinder response that comes when we take a a little breath and, and a pause. Both kinder to others and to ourselves. This is on a biological basis, portions of our brain that allow us to be more compassionate to ourselves and others come online more effectively when we breathe slowly and deeply. And cranial nerves that help us read people's facial expressions and tune into their speech, they also become activated when we do this slow, deep
0: breathing. These are wonderful human abilities to activate, especially when we are confronting the unimaginable.
2: With Ukrainians still reeling from the onslaught of indiscriminate Russian missiles this week... The top U.S. general blasted the missile attacks as a war crime.
0: Russia has deliberately struck civilian infrastructure with the purpose of harming civilians. They have targeted the elderly, the women, and the children of Ukraine. When I
3: was in Ukraine, working with chaplains who were working on the front lines of the battle, and I taught them the slow, deep, soft-belly breathing, I, I think maybe there were 20 chaplains in the group. These are military guys. Um, Catholic chaplains, I would say 19 out of 20 noticed the change. And it was, uh, to the, it was like, oh, yeah, I can make a difference because they're working in a situation which feels so overwhelming. So many people are dying. So many people have these, you know, mutilating injuries. And, and they feel totally overwhelmed, partly because they're also in the, somewhat in the line of fire, and partly because they're working with people who've been so gravely wounded and so many people who are dying. So they experience the change. The the next piece is we give them tools and techniques to use their imagination so that they can begin to uh, conceive of alternatives to the rut.
0: Trauma places us in a rut. So how do you free people from being stuck in the traumas that they've previously experienced?
3: First of all, by having the experience of being in the moment. When I'm in the moment here, if I'm breathing slowly and deeply, or if I'm relaxed and talking to you, no matter what's happened to me in the past, I'm free for these moments. When the trauma is overwhelming and inescapable, instead of fight or flight or along with it, people go into what's called the freeze response. The body kind of gets tense and collapses or becomes limp. We um, put out endorphins, uh, the endogenous morphine, the morphine in our own brains, to numb the physical and emotional pain, and we take a distance from what's happened.
0: Is that, is that
3: basically fear? It's, it is fear, but it's fear in a situation where you can't do anything about it. They shut down. They go into the freeze response. It's a life-saving, protective response, which is important
0: in the moment, but when it continues, it becomes disabling. Dr. Gordon and his colleagues use various techniques to thaw that freeze response in people who've undergone trauma.
3: So when we get people up moving their bodies, maybe shaking their bodies, which breaks up the freeze response, and then dancing to experience a little bit of freedom. And a little bit of fun. And a little bit of fun. Something shifts. In Macedonia, in a refugee camp during the war in Kosovo, a guy got up that was working with about 200 people in a tent. And he got up and he said, Doctor, I saw 21 members of my family massacred. There was nothing I could do about it. That image, that picture has been with me in all the months. night. I dream about it during the daytime. I see it in my mind's eye. Um, what can I do? And I said, well, I, I... I I'm not exactly sure, but I'm very glad that you're here, and I'm very grateful and honored that you would share this experience, and I hope you'll stick around. And he said, okay, thank you, doctor. So with, after that, I got everybody up shaking and dancing, 200 people from you know old people to little kids, shaking their bodies, freeing up the, themselves from that freeze response. This is a direct biological antidote to the freeze response, then having a minute or two of relaxation, and then I put on some music and everybody's dancing. Afterwards, I see this guy waiting for me. He says, well, when we were doing the shaking and dancing for the first time in three months, that image of all my family dying left. And for the first time, I thought, change is possible. I can live again. So that's what can happen. Now, he's still got a long road to go, but he had that glimpse of possibility and that experience that he could make a difference.
0: Coming up, a closer look at how people process their grief when they're forced to let go of the past. And now that so much in our lives is getting reshuffled, is it possible to find a new normal when constant emergency continues on humankind in a moment?
4: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.